welcome to another episode of Not D&D. This is the Ian Live, part of the Ian World, the leading tabletop news and review site. I'm Jessica, but much more excitingly, we have two excellent guests here today. We have Oakley and Clifton. Uh, so please say hello and uh, join me in welcoming them. And Opti, would you uh, please introduce yourself to people that for some reason don't know who you are? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, my name is Opti and I am the founder of Fragging Unicorns Games. Excellent. Well, that's perfect because that is what we're going to be talking about today. So how how perfect is that? Uh, yes. Clifton, how about you as well? Hello, I am Clifton and I am the lead writer for the new book for misspent youth, Fall in Love, Not in Line. I also write, write, and, write for and podcast about Shadowrun. Awesome. Well, super excited to be talking to you about the, uh, today about the Kickstarter we have. So misspent youth fall in love, not in line. I've put the links in the chat so you can check that out there. But before we get into it, um, I'd like to kind of chat a bit about your background and history with tabletop RPGs. It's something we like to do every week. Um, awesome. So what were your first tabletop RPGs that you played? What was your, your first memories of gaming? For me, it was... Uh... Dungeons and Dragons. It was the the Red Box. Way, oh, way classic. Back. <laughs> yeah. Um, played D and D for quite a while. Uh, got into second edition, and then uh, got made fun of at school so much that I stopped for a long time. Okay. <laughs> oh no. Uh, but I did actually get um, way back then. We were we were getting so much into it. I had all the books for first edition, um, and ended up getting Shadowrun first edition around that same time that I was playing. Ah. Um, and then I I basically did do a lot of gaming until university mm-hmm. and then got involved in a group there. Uh, yeah. We played a lot of uh, fourth edition, actually. And uh, then I said, hey, folks, what if we played this other game that I used to really, really like called Shadowrun? And they were Excellent. like, we don't know anything about that. So I went back to the internet and I was like, what's the podcast that's going to tell me all about the history of Shadowrun? And yeah. there was none, so I made one. <laughs> and so that became Excellent. the Neo-Anarchist podcast, uh, which does the lore of the Shadowrun universe in character mm-hmm. year by year. That I leveraged eventually to mm-hmm. get some contacts and start writing for the Shadowrun RPG, which led to nice. a lot of other stuff, including meeting Cliff and... Uh, then eventually launching Fragging Unicorns Games with our first Kickstarter, which is Gangs of the Undercity, which mm-hmm. is a cyberpunk fantasy mashup miniatures game. Yep. And now we're doing um, Misspent Youth. That's that's it. That's it. That's your entire history. <laughs> no, that's, that's excellent. That was a real whistle-stop tour, but that was all the information we needed. We have already had a question, though, about the name of the company. They said, now there's a company name and a half. Is, yeah. what, what's the story behind Fragging Unicorn Games? That's there's a good story behind it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when I first started uh, freelancing for the Shadowrun role playing game, um, it was a uh, it was a lot. There was a lot going on behind the scenes. Lots of different mm-hmm. freelancers. Lots of different coordination. So um, I took it upon myself to create a sort of group within a group of people that had like like minded things. Uh, yeah. What we wanted to see, where we wanted to see Shadowrun mm-hmm. go. Um, and we, we sort of worked behind the scenes to mesh our storylines and to make sure that we supported each other. At a certain point, somebody says, um, hey, guess what? I, I thought something, uh, I, I found something really exciting. And I type okay. unicorns. <laughs> and they say, no, not fragging unicorns. And I was like, 
that's a fragging great company name. <laughs> so we called ourselves the fragging unicorns for a very long time uh, until we launched the company. And I was like, hey, listen, anybody have any objections to me calling my company fragging unicorns? And they were like, no, great, go ahead. So that's, <laughs> that's the story. Amazing. I love that when things happen, just like silly offhand comments become Indeed. the whole main thing. My um, my gaming group, actually, we've been gaming for like four years and the name of the group is called OMP, O-M-P. And it's because um, in one of the early sessions, we were asked the group, they're like, oh, we're taking your name for this race here. And what's the name of your group? And one person in the group went, oh, one moment, please. And turned so we could confer and say it. And that just got written down as one, one moment, moment, please, please <laughs> is the name of our group, which is the most British thing ever. Um, but excellent. yeah, I love I love stories like this. So that's excellent. So that's the uh, the origin there. And uh, the chat's impressed. Best origin story ever. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but talking of origin stories, Clifton, uh, what was your first experience with tabletop RPGs? Uh, as a kid, I remember my friend's brother telling me about his D&D campaign where he had a castle and he was riding on the Enterprise and shooting magic missiles at things. I don't know what kind of version of D&D they were playing, but that's what I remember what he told me. Yeah. I was enough to get me hooked. Sure. But uh, Satanic Panic, conservative Christian parents, uh, yeah. I had to find a side door, mm -hmm. uh, which was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness. Because Ninja wow. Turtles, right? Uh, no, no, Hair's no, in a no state and possession. Satanic. Yeah. Right. So, so that's how I got my foot in the door uh, around the whole satanic panic thing. Um, <laughs> finding, it, finding alternative to D&D. &D. I've been kind of doing that ever since a bit. I, I, li I do like D&D, &D, but mm -hmm. it's really not been one of the main games I've played. Uh, I feel yeah. like third edition was kind of my jam. I didn't like the mm -hmm. arbitrariness of first and second. Like, why can't a wizard pick up a sword and just be bad at it? Right. Yeah. Anyway, that's true. So in third edition DD, wizards can pick up a sword and maybe even be kind of okay with it. But mm. whatever. I like I, I liked the flexibility that brought. But uh my main yeah. jam for a long time has been Shadowrun because uh, some mm -hmm. friends uh well uh posted somebody I didn't know actually posted on a bulletin board system which you had to dial into with your computer. I'm kind of old. Uh, it's a, it was a little bit like the internet, but uh, one one person could log into it at a time. So people would leave messages like, hey, we're looking for some people to play in a group, and we're not playing Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, it was like, <laughs> okay, I, I, I yeah, don't so care. Yeah, stole my show concept or all these years ago. <laughs> no. Yeah, so I, I, I want to play role-playing games, and I'm not allowed to play Dungeons and Dragons, so that's perfect. And they were like, come come, let us show you about Shadowrun. And it's it's been... Uh, that was a life-altering moment right there because I've been super into Shadowrun for as long as I can remember. Met my wife through a Shadowrun game group. Uh, wow. Podcast about Shadowrun. Get to write for Shadowrun now um, and other things. Uh, so, And uh, all of those other opportunities uh, kind of overlap with what Opti said. So um, I'll, I'll leave that uh, to there. Awesome. So I've known Opti for, for years and it's been a great friendship. And... Uh, we get to make games together now too. Which is, yeah, the best thing. Uh, we got some fans of the, the podcast there as well. So there's people here coming over from that. So if you have any questions you'd like to ask, uh, please do pop them in the chat of wherever you're watching this on and we'll pop them up on the screen uh, and ask Opti and Clifton. So please feel free to ask your questions. Um, so so Clifton, I think Opti, you, you kind of uh, touched on like how you transitioned from being like a fan of tabletop RPGs into kind of the industry. Clifton, what was that uh, journey like for you? Was it mostly being a writer or... Uh, no, it was kind of weird. I didn't touch the writing thing for a while because my wife uh, um, 
those those who've listened to the Arcology podcast know her as Vox. Um, she uh, she was really making that her thing, and I didn't want mm-hmm. to. I don't know. It was dumb of me, really, <laughs> but uh, it felt like that's her thing. I'll do other stuff. Um, yeah. And so I really got into podcasting, and uh, I would hang out with the writers who write mm-hmm. Shadowrun, and I happened to be standing around a bunch of them. Uh, after a gathering and uh, John Helfer's the, the fiction lead uh, for a uh, catalyst walked up and said, Hey Cliff, when am I going to get your book pitch? He just mistook <laughs> me for a writer. Cause I was hanging out with them. And, ah. and then I have now I have a Shadowrun novella that's out there. And I guess just Amazing. by knowing and meeting people through podcasting and making yeah. friends and interviewing them, just getting to know different people at the cons and, uh, it's it's I've, I've kind of been sucked into writing like it, it was a few things like uh, <laughs> rj thomas uh, who's written a lot for Shadowrun, got me into mm-hmm. cutting black like hey I'm, I'm i get to be the lead person on this book uh, do you want to do something for it and i i said oh, okay a little bit here and then I, I got a chance to make up some characters for mech warrior destiny uh which is a really fun game in the BattleTech universe mm-hmm. and uh opti pulled me into the Shadowrun anarchy 2050 book and yep. then a whole bunch of other writers quit. So I ended up writing over half of that with him. So um, it just sort of has snowballed and it's been great. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I really hope I can keep going because I'm like right on the cusp of maybe being able to make a living as a game design writer. It's, maybe yeah. a destitute one. Yes. But still a living. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I know that. I think a lot of people that gets to a point where you're like, do I take the leap and do this all the time? Or like, and it's a really difficult moment. So I think a lot of people work in the industry have, have very much uh, been there as well. So not not alone there. Um, so yeah, so you also mentioned, so, so the other podcast you did here, so Opti, that you, that you wrote in the chat as well. But um, so if people wanted to, to check those out uh, with Shadowrun, um, you can find all the details kind of there as well. Yeah. Uh, but we are not here to talk about Shadowrun uh, today, which we should, which we should have an episode on Shadowrun. At which some is point, weird though. because Cliff and I talk about Shadowrun a lot. A lot. <laughs> well, I think, I think we're down for that. <laughs> okay, so if you some other time hear, though, yeah, if you hear about Shadowrun, there are all these podcasts already existing where you can go and really dive down deep into it. Um, but today we're wanting to talk about uh, your fantastic game here, uh, which is uh, Fall in Love, Not in Line, which is based on um, kind of uh, mis- which is not based on, which is part of misspent youth. Um, so, uh, Opti, could you start by telling us uh, a little bit about this? Sure. Um, Fall in Love, Not in Line is the first Fragging Unicorns release of the misspent youth game. Uh, mm-hmm. IP that we inherited from Robert Bowl Games. Robert is the creator of Misspent Youth and uh, was really good friends of ours, is a really mm-hmm. good friend of ours. And uh, when he got out of the industry, he passed on the IP to us and has been working with us actually from the beginning of this one to just make sure we're getting everything right and honoring uh, what he created. But this release is not a completely new game. It's more of a sort of different way to play focused on... Okay. Um, focused on invitation and inclusion. So we've sort of streamlined everything about the the previous misspent youth game that was a stumbling block to folks who might not have been um, really familiar with narrative RPGs, right? Like that's cool. a particular you know group of folks who can just hop in and start role playing right away. Yeah. Uh, and then not always, uh, you know, this is non D&D, right? But so D&D players, traditional gamers or non-gamers, have sometimes had a hard time jumping in and, and knowing what to do, how to role play, what that looks like. Yeah, um, with it's this an, game, yeah. yeah, go ahead. 
I was going to say it, it can be intimidating because it's a very narrative system which gives you so much freedom, which is was awesome. But that much freedom can be really intimidating if you're new. You're like, I, I, I don't, I don't know, and like, yeah. Yeah, um, that's that's what we found is uh, when it works, and when you have a group that that sort of is willing to jump right in and knows what this is about. Misfit Youth is an incredible tool to tell mm -hmm. really, really fun stories and have a great time with your friends. But uh, if you give this to a group of of D and D or traditional players, or if you give this to somebody who's never played, they sometimes yeah. get uh, you know indecision. They don't look. They look at each other. They don't know quite what to do. Yeah. So this book streamlines all of that. Sort of cuts all the fat, um, cuts down the number of options, and just really handholds every single person, makes every decision very easy and straightforward, and sometimes makes the decisions for you so that by the time you're halfway into the game, you understand mm -hmm. how things are supposed to go, you get a sense for what you what is possible, and then by the end, the, the kid gloves are off, you've sort of backed off, the, the GM or the world has sort of backed off and let you do it, and I, like, I just ran this for a group mm -hmm. of people who have never played a role-playing game in their life. They've oh, wow. never okay. rolled a dice in, in any way, shape, or form other than like Monopoly or something. And <laughs> okay. they, were, they were able by the end of the uh, like three hour, three hour, four, four hour session, they they had such an incredible time and they were like, can we do this again? This was fun, <laughs> they were getting into character. And I thought, man, if I could run people uh, through this first, and then other games, like they would be better role players in every other game for having played this one first and gotten into character. And so that's that's what this whole book is about to, uh, is trying to do, cutting down on the on the things that hinder people from getting into it and making mm -hmm. role play as easy as possible. Well, that sounds awesome because I think uh, we're always looking for ways to invite new people into the hobby and get new role players uh, into it. So having a system that works really well for that is is awesome to know. Um, so uh, talk a little bit about the settings because some people might not be familiar with the uh, original Misspent Youth. Uh, Clifton, could you talk us through the setting and um, kind of what the premise of the game is? Uh, sure. I have to kind of come at that a little bit sideways as well, because Misspent Youth handles setting a little differently than many other RPGs. Mm -hmm. uh, it's essentially um, a setting agnostic system, uh, usually takes place in a dystopian science fiction setting. In the first Misspent Youth book, when you go to play the game for the first time, uh, you would create the entire world concept together. Uh, and then the authority and the characters before starting the game, uh, which is really cool, especially if you're into world building. Uh, but what we're doing with this one, though, uh, I guess part of my idea for making this more inviting and inclusive for people who just re get right into the game is that we're going to present a number of pre-made settings for you that are fun and interesting to play, uh, we hope. Uh, the playtest has all been uh, Neo-Babylon, which is the setting uh, that Gangs of the Undercity takes place in. It's a, a cyberpunk fantasy dystopia uh, where uh, it's sort of like our world, but uh, more influenced by the ancient uh, empire of Babylon than Rome. Um, we're going to have another setting that's going to be a, a mecha uh, an anime-style mecha setting uh, taking oh, place wow. on another planet in space where uh, the corporation wants to strip all the resources out of the, the Youthful Offender's homeworld. Um, youthful Offender is our word for player character, by the way. So Yes, yeah. Um, and we've got a, sort of a steampunk fantasy one, uh, another one that's going to be high fantasy, which is a bit new for Misspent Youth, which has pretty much always been about the sci-fi before. Mm -hmm. And... Um, 
Yeah, one or two that are kind of in flux here. We're kind of waiting to see what the writers uh, land on. Um, but I'm, I'm excited excited to find that out. But uh, they'll all be interesting, unique settings mm-hmm. with a very different approach and flavor and set mm-hmm. of themes to play through, a cast of characters to jump in and play. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's that's really what, what the setting is. <laughs> the play oh, test okay. has all been the Neo-Babylon setting. That's been a lot of fun, but... Mm-hmm. Um, also, it, it's kind of a, a lot of these themes are universal, too. Uh, it almost doesn't matter what setting you're in. Yeah. Everyone can relate to authority arbitrarily ruining your life. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's what I really liked about this. I think everyone's had um, some situation where there's been an authority figure that's done something unfair, even if it's just like a teacher in school that told you off for something that you didn't do. And like the injustice of that, especially when you're young, it, it seems so much more extreme. And and because the um, so the characters you're playing are young people as well, and that is that the same in this setting as well. So they're all kind of oh, yes. yeah. yeah. So you got uh, all the team angst. At uh, if we get to our first stretch goal at fifteen thousand, um, the creator Robert Bowl is going to write a setting for us, and he's already told <laughs> us that it is a setting of uh, older generations of robots. And these new generation of robots that have been created, and they've got to decide if they're oh, going to wow. destroy the old robots or find a way to work with them, and that's kind of fun. I was thinking of a superhero setting, and this would actually work really, really well in a superhero setting. Yeah. Um, and we're not going to do that for this so book, well, but, right. <laughs> but it works really well. And then on last Wednesday, uh, we played our Shadowrun, our normal like uh, Wednesday night Shadowrun group. We ran them through a high school uh, misbet youth game, and they were all high schoolers in the Shadowrun universe, and that worked very very well as well so yeah it's very very easy to adapt to any system or any setting oh that sounds really good so it sounds like the the, the book d- is giving you some structure so if you're new to it and you're like i i do want like some guidance and stuff it is there but it is so easy to to twist and make it what what you kind of want it to be so you just need to have basically just some sort of authority to rebel against and that's that's it. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the artwork in the game because it looks really beautiful and specifically one that I really like because you sent me some stuff in advance. And I, I love this piece. So if we could talk about this, is this inspired by anyone in, in real life? Or <laughs> So that is from, <laughs> <laughs> that is from uh, the art is all done by Jennifer Rogers uh, and she mm-hmm. did the artwork for the first uh, two misspent youth books. Also, she did the cover for this one. And I'm I'm trying to get her to do some more art for this book, but she's supposed to be retired from uh, from art, but she's working with us. Um, this one was from the second book called Sell Out With Me. It was mm-hmm. um, not this colorful, so we sort of yeah. colored it and made it yeah. explicit. Like, hey, in case you didn't know who we were talking about, this is who we were talking about. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely... The, the cool thing about Misspent Youth is when you're mm-hmm. creating the authorities, the prompts lead you to to bring up your own experience and the own frustrations and your own fears of of authorities in your own life. So anytime you've ever been beaten down, every time you've ever been shut up, every time you've been uh, oppressed or marginalized or um, angered by things you can't control, channel those things into the authority that you're creating or using. And of course, you know, over the last four years, uh, I don't know how political we want to get here, but I mean, it was a really <laughs> rough time for some of us. Uh, like, you know, felt like we were just sort of kicking at the wind um, and not being able to to do anything. But misspent youth gives you that ability to 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 kick at something and have it actually um, accomplish something, even if it's just you know in your own imagination. 
I love I love how optimistic you are, and that's where Opti comes from. In that you're referring to all that stuff of the, the those four years as completely in the past. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway. I, yeah, everything's fine now. There's no I, there's no plagues or wars. Everything's fine. Right. <laughs> no. Well, now we're, yeah. <laughs> no, but um, we you know I did mention I gave so about the authority that you you play against in these settings. So um you kind of kind of have a, a varying skill like i mentioned something like a teacher that's mean to you and then that picture we had is literally somebody that's maybe like the president of a country or something so what kind of scale are the settings in the book set against like how big are these authorities that this plucky group of teenagers are rebelling against uh really big really big to oh, the okay great where, uh, the fate of the world is in your hands you are the teenagers who can save the world or maybe won't um, okay, uh, no pressure. Uh, the authority has a few different things that sort of make up their stats, so to speak. They're they're fully narrative, but okay, um, yeah. they have things called systems of control, mm -hmm. which which they're systems that they use to well to control people. Mm -hmm. um, uh, this might be like a social media platform that they use to spread their message, or uh, or uh, an anti-immigration authority uh, that prevents uh, that puts children in concentration camps when they try to cross the border, uh, something like that. And there are authority figures are, are, are the other things they have, which are individual persons or maybe robots or AIs or something. And these are the people that you might directly face. So this might be the teacher that okay, gets yeah. in your face or the principal uh, that pulls you into their office or the police officer that mm -hmm. um, kills your neighbor. Um, uh, essentially, uh, those... Yeah. That, so that's where that sort of smaller scale ties in with it. And you yeah. can fight those at the end of each episode. Mm -hmm. uh, if the youthful offenders win, they get to either gain a new exploit, which is something that, that they can use to undermine the authority, or they get to destroy a system of control or authority figure. And they win the campaign by having more exploits than the total number of systems of control and authority figures that mm -hmm. the authority has. They lose the game by selling out all their convictions. Okay, so is this so? This is designed to be like a, a campaign kind of setting, opposed to a one shot. So how kind of yeah? Oh, sorry. Oh, no, I go ahead and finish your question. I'm sorry. No, I was just I was just checking it if it both. works. Yeah, it does it, work as both. Yeah, it works really well as a one shot, but uh, Robert definitely designed it to be played as a campaign, especially with the idea that you'd be spending a few hours in the beginning creating the very setting in the authority, sure, like in the group all from the ground up. You're probably going to have a session zero and then a session one, two, three, four, et cetera. And uh, yeah. there's a lot of framework uh, that's, that's very much, uh, I think, inspired by a television series structure um, that, uh, that a campaign mm. will fit within. And uh, there's yeah. def definite win loss conditions and a way to wrap things up at the end of this, at the end of the series, uh, which I think is pretty neat. You don't see that in a lot of role-playing games where yeah. it kind of assume the default is you're open-ended adventuring, you know, maybe to level 20 or until you retire or whatever. It definitely has a beginning, having middle, and it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so speaking of session zeros a little bit, we've talked about a lot of themes that could be quite sensitive for people, like, because it could get really political or it could get really dark, depending on what you're doing. So what some kind of safety rules or, or things do you recommend in the game for people playing this to make sure everyone has fun at the table? So we provide some safety tools. Uh, Fragging Unicorns will have some in, in all mm -hmm. of our stuff. Um, uh, 
Opti has uh, written those up. I believe he, he has to has to adapt them a bit from the original Western setting that he wrote mm -hmm. the first draft in. <laughs> That's a whole other whole other tangent. Okay. Um, <laughs> however, uh, I also like to include. Uh, I think um, what is really important as a safety tool is just having the attitude that the most important thing, the highest priority, is the safety and comfort of your players. So even if you have safety tools in place, yeah. uh, things can happen and come up that you don't anticipate. And yeah. if you don't have that attitude, you might just be like, well, we agreed on this, so I get to do X, whatever. Mm. Uh, no, like it, it's You always have the most important safety tool, even if you don't have any other safety tools, but please have them. Um, <laughs> Is 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 that attitude of of it's what's most important is the safety and comfort of the players. That's the highest priority, and you can stop the game, change things, retcon mm -hmm. whatever in in service to that. Like there's the, none of the game rules are secondary to that. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, I feel like like that's that's kind of that's kind of my um, my true north as far as safety tools goes. Yeah. yeah. That sounds, that's, that sounds like an excellent answer. And um, we've had a few more people jump in. So I'm just going to say uh, hello. So this is not D&D. &D. Uh, so here we're talking about misspent youth, fall in love, not in line, the Kickstarter campaign that is out now. Uh, so please pop your questions in the chat if you have any and Opti and Clifton will answer them uh, for you today. Uh, we have had a question about the campaign. So they've said, obviously, um, so this is uh, a different uh, book from the original one. So will they need to have the original book or is this a standalone one they can order? Or how, do, how does that work? Okay, a couple things, one of which you can get the first one for free online and just download it. Robert has actively encouraged people to put it up on torrents and all that. Mm -hmm. We fully support that. Uh, so if you want the first book, uh, I think the second one might be out there as well for download. Just go for it. It's, it's fine. Grab it. Um, even if you grab it from uh, a pirate style site, we're cool with it. <laughs> um, There's no need so, to because it's up on our right. website. But sure. But, uh, <laughs> that said, you will be able to get hard copies uh, through the Kickstarter campaign, which are pretty much mostly not available. We've got we've got some inventory, mm -hmm. but they're, they're not something you're likely to walk into a store and find to buy. So it's a great way to get those. That said, this book is very much designed to be all you need to play the game, except for okay. some friends and a couple of D6s. Excellent. Uh, so, so you don't oh, need yeah. to go and hunt down the original then. You can just get this and you're good to go. You yeah. don't need to refer to the, any other books to play this. And, to play and this while the first book put the world building stuff right up front in, in lots and lots of detail before you got started, we don't do that. We get you right into this book playing as soon as possible. But mm -hmm. that world building stuff is going to be pretty straightforward and available to you. Just it'll be in the back of the book for reference instead. Yeah. Okay, awesome. And, and like you said, so you've got a copy of that. You can download the free original version on your website, uh, which is uh, fragandunicorns.com uh, on there. So people can grab that there as well. Um, so speaking about the game, we talked a, a little bit about how the mechanics are slightly different and get straight you into the, gets you straight into the game. Sorry, words. Uh, can we talk a little bit about the mechanics and how the game how the game works mechanically? Because it's not a heavy dice rolling. You're going to need a fistful of dice and like your, your math sheet out uh but could you just talk us through uh how that how that works sure uh well first of all there's really no stats there's no hit points or plus whatevers um our 
characters and uh, are all made up of a collection of narrative ideas. Um, mm-hmm. So the youthful offenders, your player characters, each have a number of things called convictions, which that's something special about them that they are able to use to fight the authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, so something like their means, like they might be cool. Uh, people think they're cool. They want to be around them, but they might be uh, they might be bad, like the leather jacket wearing a uh, cool kid. Well, they're both two different shades of cool, right? Um, a motive might be altruism or thrill seeking. Uh, it might vary depending on the character. Uh, Mo or specialty is going to be different based on the settings. Like for Neo Babylon, we have characters who can do like element bending with their martial arts. Oh. And another character who's a computer hacker, we call it breaching. Um, the other character with magic spells. Uh, so uh, the the setting with the mecha, their their mecha is going to be one of their convictions. And each one of these just altogether, they they tell you something important about who this character is narratively, but they're also the things that you sort of risk and use to fight the authority with. So when you play the game, it's, it's very much open-ended uh, narrative sort of free play. You set the scene, Mm-hmm. Uh, start with some uh, something called a friendship question. Uh, Opti, do you want to talk about those real quick? So it's not just me talking all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the friendship questions are actually really, really cool uh, in that they are a sort of secondary world building. Um, mm-hmm. In this edition, we actually give you the friendship questions ahead of time on your character sheet, but in the previous editions, you just made up your own. But mm-hmm. uh, right before every scene, you would, one of the players takes one of their friendship questions and chooses another one of the players and asks them a friendship question. And they get to ask the question, right? That's their choice. But then the person who answers gets to answer in any way they want. And in this way, you're sort of dual world building the backgrounds of your character. Like they Mm -hmm. all know each other going into it, but how they know each other is unclear over the course of the, the episode how they know each other and and what sort of friendships they have is revealed right like as it was as if it yeah. was like the first 5 second or the first 5 minutes of a of a TV show where you get mm-hmm. sort of background and then you get uh the you know, the theme music and then whatever the theme was in that you know background will become sort of a theme uh, in the rest of the episode so it's really structured that you know every every scene you get a little bit more background of the, the youthful offenders and how they relate to each other yeah. Okay. And that's, I think that's quite key to the game. Cause I think one of the things I noticed when reading through it, it isn't, even though you're, you know, you're, you're fighting against, you know, the man or the system or whatever it is. Um, the story seemed to be very much about the relationships and the group of people more than, more than like necessarily winning. So, cause there isn't, it's not necessarily about winning in the game Would that Would that be right? Oh, it's definitely about winning. <laughs> you don't want to lose or else the world is going to suck and it's going to be your fault. Yeah. But one of the, one of the things that we... But, but yeah, you're very much... It's it's at least as much about the characters and relationships yeah. as it is about anything else. On balance, right? Like uh, most of the, the games we play are about taking down the bad guy, right? Yes. And, and everything that we do and everything that we build up is tor- so we can be better at taking down the bad guy. The mm-hmm. the name "Fall in Love Not Online" is a nod to the fact that even if we're tearing down the right things, uh, we also need to be building up the good that we want to see, or else we'll just become the new bad guy, and somebody will have to take us down. So we do want to encourage the falling in love, right? The the, the beauty in our relationships and the uh, the things that we can build together, not just the the bad stuff that needs to be torn torn down. 
Okay, so that was that was the inspiration behind the kind of the naming of this is 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 that kind of exact idea. So, yeah, not necessarily literal romance, maybe, or I guess it could be though. It could be, could yeah, be. yeah. <laughs> and basically, like that, you know, you've seen the cover, um, like it's it's queer as hell. You know what I mean? Like love who you want, uh, love as strongly as you want, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And if they do, then take them down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, definitely. This- yeah, this this uh, role playing game is actually a really great framework for playing out uh, romantic character arcs um, mm-hmm. among player characters, assuming it's within your safety tool boundaries, of course. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, yeah, and I got the cover art there as well. So, mm-hmm. which um, setting is this inspired cover. from? Because that looks quite, like you say, it's, it's got uh, kind of cyberpunk, and so I'm, yeah. Pretty this sure that's the Babylon. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's that one. Okay. Awesome. Uh, yeah, we have somebody that downloaded it um, and they said they've had a look at the game and really like the hack that you can use it to almost play misfits. So you're talking yeah. about those supernatural powers, which I absolutely love that show. And that is the perfect example. I wish I'd thought of that because that was, yeah, this is the uh, perfect ses- system to play if you wanted to play misfits. It's, yeah, how yeah. perfect. There's also Honestly, another one. In... Almost every setting is perfect yeah. for this. I, I, <laughs> I, I tried really hard to get an Earth Dawn license for one of the settings, and uh, unfortunately, just didn't get through to the right people. But I yeah. was going to have like fantasy setting, people in a care. Uh, never mind. I don't want to have to explain Earth Dawn now. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like D&D, but it's cooler. It's like D&D, but cool. It's cool. And uh, yeah, one of the settings in, yeah. in Sell Out With Me is you play a, a, a punk band. And your rival, like the authority, is another punk band, right? So, like, just switching the rules around just a little bit, yeah. And you have these rival punk bands, and like that's the whole thing, right? So you're 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 partying together, you're you're um, I don't know, you're snogging each other. Did I use that right? That is, yeah, that is all a British right. term, yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's all kinds of different settings, and it doesn't have to be throwing Molotov cocktails, you know, and. Uh, and, and taking over things, it can be, you know, just as simple as like, did we play well tonight? Um, you know, did I, did I get laid tonight? And, you know, it's, again, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be anything, but it can be anything. I think as long as you have the right heart behind it. Okay, great. You did ask about the rules. We haven't even gotten to dice rolling yet. So. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we will come that? back to the rules. Yes. Okay. Let's go back. So Every scene within uh, every scene within an episode, an episode would be like a game session, typically. Um, yeah. It has a certain structure to it. You start with a friendship question, then move on to free play after you set the scene, and you just sort of get into character and role play together and start having fun. You might interact with the GM or the authority uh, who might describe how certain things are happening. And then at some point, when it seems narratively appropriate or, or just when some time has passed... Uh, Something will happen where the it there's there's a conflict that comes to the surface. Uh, oftentimes, the person playing the authority gets to turn the screws on the youthful offenders and bring mm-hmm. this into very obvious uh, relief. But but not always. But but every scene then ends after after the struggle that you then move into because when okay. when it's time time to struggle, then it's time to get the struggle sheet out and roll dice and use rules. Okay. The way the struggle sheet works is the authority will put out this sheet um, mm-hmm. that has a, a spot for each number that you could roll on 2d6. So 2, 3, 4, 5, all the way up to 12. Mm-hmm. And the authority and the youthful offenders each have some tokens. And the authority says, all right, uh, I'm 
ruining school lunch by making the kids buy expensive food and not letting them bring their sack lunches. I'm going to claim, <laughs> start this out by claiming the number three. And they put their token on the number three. Okay. And then that's when somebody, one of the player characters gets to stand up. Uh, they'll say, I'm standing up. Then first thing you do is you roll the dice, 2d6. And you want to get a number that is not one of the ones the authority put their token on. Because okay. if you do that, you lose. So um, anything but three in this example. Right. So okay. if they, yeah. So if they roll anything but three, let's say a seven, they would then get to put their token on the seven, yeah. and then the that that player would say which conviction that they're using uh, to fight the authority, and then how they're doing it. So if your conviction might be, I have a cool jetpack, we're like, all right, I'm going to use my yeah. jetpack to fly on up there and uh, uh, grab the person out of the hands of the robot uh, that's about to crush them. And then, then after they do that, the, the GM is the authority has to take the hit. They describe how what the youthful offender just did is, is really messing with their plans. Yeah. So that's a fun part because you got to see them take the hit. And then they describe the next mean thing they're doing. Uh, and the authority then claims the number. The authority doesn't roll. The authority um, in the first book, there's a big chart for what you pick based on which numbers are picked. Mm -hmm. I came up with a rule to make it easier. Uh, yeah. The authority claims a number that is adjacent to one of the ones the youthful offenders just rolled. Um, oh, okay, yeah. Makes it easy. You don't have to remember things, and it also mm -hmm. feels like the authority's right in your heels. They put their token yeah. down. Then another person can stand up. They roll the dice. They claim and, a number. But now there's, they move but now on. there's two ish. There's two. Oh, Three so numbers. it escalates the situation yeah. naturally. Yeah. Oh, so the tension you get this, rises. Yeah, yes. you get this Jenga tower like rise. tension, yeah. or like, oh, yeah. am I gonna think? So every time you're gonna reach for the dice, turn the end, it's like, oh, here we go. Well, that's it's, nice. It's, I like it's, it. It's really thick. It's I, I've really enjoyed just how much energy there is to that mm -hmm. watching that board build up. But yeah, yeah. Uh, it ends when they roll a youthful offender rolls a number that has been claimed by a youthful offender in a previous turn. Uh, okay, that's yep. a good ending. They win. They describe how their conviction and their friend's conviction that claim that are used to, to save the day and mm -hmm. do the thing and achieve their hope, which is their sort of winning, winning uh, hope in, in the, the struggle. So whatever they're yeah. trying to achieve. Yeah. I kind of skipped over that, but as you go into a, a struggle, the authority defines mm -hmm. their objective, the youthful offenders, define their hope and they should be two sort of separate things not just not what they said it's the authority wants to step on these people and then you want to have a special anti-robot foot shields so people don't get stepped on uh, I don't okay. know, anymore not just not just now but mm -hmm. so so yeah if you if you roll and you, and you hit one of your good numbers you get to declare how you do your hope if you roll uh, a number that the authority has claimed that means you either lose and the authority okay. achieves their objective. You get to describe how your conviction just wasn't enough in the moment when you were needed, or you can sell out a conviction, permanently transforming it to a twisted and corrupted version of itself. Oh, wow. Um, and you essentially go too far and just bah, really, really just freak out your friends. Like, Oh my God, I can't believe you did that. Like, but yeah, we won. So, but you, it is an, I win button, but you're selling part of your soul that is permanently transformed uh, from then on. Got it. So and, that brings in the theme you are talking about of you want to win, but you don't want to become the thing you were seeking to destroy. It and, is also how you lose, you know, because if you sell out all of your convictions, mm -hmm. that's when the, not just the, the episode, the, campaign. the game, the campaign ends. Yeah. Oh yeah, because you've become the the very thing you wanted to destroy. Right. 
Yeah, but and it's also a push and pull because you know you you don't want to sell out your values because they're important. They're one of the things that makes mm. you really what you are that you can fight the authority. Yeah, and you want to become more like them. But are your values so important that you're willing to? put them hold them above the lives of those people who are just about to get stepped on by a robot. <laughs> uh, it, it really puts this, yeah. this moral dilemma in their hands yeah. every time. And it's just, it's so chewy. It's yeah. such a light rules, light narrative game with mm-hmm. so few mechanics. Uh, but the mechanics that are there uh, are just so thematically powerful. Yeah, it sounds like they're subtle and they nudge you towards naturally building that tension and naturally building that. Oh my gosh, like it, like you say, it's escalating. It's more and more likely that you're going to to lose in this struggle because there's more and more numbers on the board. And like you say, them going next to yours, even though technically it does, it doesn't mean they're chasing you more. It would feel that way because visually it just looks like they're next to us. Ah. Like so, that's yeah, really great. Yeah, it also takes some of the joy out of rolling one of those high probability numbers. Like, ah, oh, cool, I got an eight. That means we're gonna have a good. Oh, but that means the authority gets to claim a seven or a nine. So that- <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, I I'm not really a maths person, so I hadn't considered that. But you're absolutely oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, when you're rolling uh, any multiple dice, uh, yeah, yeah. the range of possibilities is mm-hmm. not even in probability. You don't have an equal chance of rolling yeah. a two or uh, a seven because there's different ways that number can come up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. So you're much more likely to roll those numbers in the middle than you are the ones on the edge. Absolutely. So um, so that's kind of the core mechanics in the game. So a struggle scene works. Do we have any other any other mechanics, things we need to cover? Is that... Well, how do we how do we end uh, an episode or things like that? How does that happen? Yeah, uh, just like the scenes are structured, uh, the episodes are structured as well. Every episode mm-hmm. has five scenes, and okay. each scene has its own part of the narrative arc. Scene mm-hmm. one is what's up, what's going on. Yeah. Uh, scene two is heating up, things are leading toward the confrontation. Scene three is we're winning, where you really get to fight back, and the, the some of the um, probability things are skewed in your favor. And then mm-hmm. scene four is. We're losing. Uh, oh, okay. hit that card, and then scene five is who wins. <laughs> um, so, so there, there are there are slightly different rules for each one of those. Like, for example, okay. the one for we're losing is when the authority really hits back hard. Okay. Um, and has a has an advantage when the authority takes their first turn. They claim two high probability numbers, uh, five and nine. Mm-hmm. Normally, they only claim one at the start, so there's there's a disadvantage there. Um, yeah. So that, that's basically how that works, and then you you keep you keep score of who wins each of the different five scenes, and then whichever side won more scenes at the end, uh, they win the episode and get to either the authority can create a new authority uh, figure or system of control, or the youthful offenders get to tear one of those down, or the youthful offenders get to gain a new exploit. Or a new rule I came up with. Um, okay. You can do a redemption arc where um, you can re- you can unsell out one of the youthful offenders' sold out convictions. That uh, is okay. almost always a net loss because you're probably going to have to sell out one or two convictions just to get it get through an episode. Um, mm. More if things go badly. Yeah. But I like the idea of having that option in there. Like, ah, oh, we feel really mm. crappy about you. You're sneaky. This being turned into untrustworthy and you're this slimy bastard now we we what we, we, we miss the old uh likable <laughs> sneaky person so what happened to you jess right yes 
Uh, Had so, it said to me many times, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, that's basically how the episode rule structure works. Uh, there's some new rules to this game that I've added mm-hmm. in, um, but I've tried to be very minimalist with it. Yeah. Um, keep the I have not de- definitely not reinventing the rules. Uh, just just keeping them basically almost exactly as they are, uh, just with some a few different things that allow for a little bit more control over this dice swinginess. Um, yeah. There's actually, some... uh, let me, Cliff added two that I think are actually really, really cool. And if Cliff's oh, not yeah? going to say them, I oh, want to say it. them. Yeah. Brag, brag for him, brag for him, do <laughs> yeah. it, yeah. Um, because in, in uh, the original Misfit Youth, it was just whoever acted first and that person could continue to act or like, yeah. you know, and what that was sort of tending towards in some of my games was like, I would always want to stand up. I always have cool things to say. I like role yeah. playing, right? So it would always sort of lead one person to always be doing that kind of stuff. But like the alpha the, gamer type thing. Sure, yeah, yeah, and maybe not yeah. intentionally. Very just much sort of falls prey to that. It just can. natural, mm-hmm. natural inclinations, and sometimes. Uh, but Cliff added a a rule, which is an optional rule for each scene, but it's called round robin. Where it's not you optional. Can't Oh, it's not optional? Okay, well then. It was, <laughs> I mean, all, they're all optional, right? In the playtest, right? Cliff not gonna, this, not it's up, not optional. You're yeah. not going to show up at your house and say, no, you can't play it that way. <laughs> well, it's it's uh, it's showing up in the sort of uh, rules for this scene. So, like, I guess yeah. when we read it, when we finish up the book, it's going to go in the general rules. But um, uh-huh. it's basically you can't stand up unless every, every other player has already stood up. Um, okay, which, great. Which works really, really well. You know, uh, I, again, I played this uh, Let me reword that. You can't... You can you can't stand up again, a second time right. unless everyone else is gone. I'm not okay, sure. Okay. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. You can't stand oh, up yeah. twice until everybody has at least stood up. Yeah. Once. No, that all makes sense. So to make sure everyone gets a moment to have their cool thing that they can do, which is right. is hard to do sometimes in a game to balance when you've got a table full of people. Yes. And the second is mm-hmm. a rule called violence is ugly. Um, and this is a sort of collaboration, um, initially inspired by something that Robert had had done. Uh, not with the original Misspent Youth, but then Cliff and I talked about it, and then Cliff threw it in there, and I think it's worded really, really great, where if you use uh, physical violence against the authority, that actually mm-hmm. might be a very powerful tool, might get yeah. you what you want, mm-hmm. but when you use physical violence, the authority hits back very hard. So if you claim a number using physical violence, using one of your yeah. convictions to do violence, the no- the authorities will claim two numbers after that and narratively you will narratively pay the consequences as well so you might win that scene or whatever using your violence but the authority will now come in and it will beat up your friends it will beat up your family it'll if you punch them they'll hit you with a lead pipe you know it just says it it basically if it tells you and reflects the reality that you Mm. can't do violence as much as the authority can do violence. So yeah. be think very hard before you do this, because if you do, then the consequences will be that much greater. You've given the authority permission to do the same thing. So yeah. it's, it, it's an encouragement to, you know, in imagination to imagine um, other and alternative ways to, to solve <laughs> your problems other yes. than just simply using violence first. Or yeah. It's still or always just, an option, but <laughs> yeah. or, or or you just uh, do it anyway because it's what needs to be done right. in some yes. cases. We, our, our friend James, when we played uh, the, the Shadowrun, one, the very first thing that he does is walks up and 
punches somebody. Just right. just he walks says, out. Here's this rule. I'll lay him out. And he's like, I don't care. I'm going to do it. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes apparently violence is the answer. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like that as a it's rule. It's always an answer. Yeah. Right? <laughs> apparently. I like that, though, because like you say, it would very much encourage you to kind of think beyond just, oh, I go in and punch it. Which I think in narrative games, it's it's, it's not like D and D, which can be very combat focused. It would be finding other ways to kind of achieve what you want, to opposed to just like go up and punch it. Um, yeah, and you but, can creatively, yeah. you Sorry. can creatively utilize your convictions too. Like for example, one mm -hmm. character, which uh, she has illicit cybernetics, so claws can pop out. She's got cyber uh, a cybernetic skeleton and can see and hear really well. Just all sorts of cyborg. I yeah. could use that to tear somebody's head off with my sure. cyber claws, or you could use it to, you know, pick up a car and put it in front of the door. The, each conviction isn't like, it's not like you just have a hammer. So you, all you could do is nail things. Right. Uh, every single <laughs> yeah. one of them can be used in all sorts of different flavors. I believe the, 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 the punching was, uh, they were using their, uh, their uh, conviction of outrage. Yeah. <laughs> like what you're, you're making fun of those kids who don't get food. <laughs> <laughs> so, i mean fair enough like we yeah. say violence is is an option um are there any uh we're coming up to near the top of the hour so we've got about 10 minutes left so um if you do have any questions about the system please do pop them down in the chat as now is the time uh but i'm sure if you are catching up on this i'm sure you can go to the kickstarter page and ask any questions uh there in the comments as well and you can also keep in touch with uh the frag and unicorns crew which is what i'm calling you now the crew yeah Sure. Sure. Good. Uh, the Frag and Unicorns Q. Uh, so on Twitter, Facebook, there's also Discord channels and all that gorgeous stuff kind of going on there it's as a well. Acronym. Yeah, I mean, definitely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so the Frag and Unicorns. Yeah. I didn't intend that. This is uh, well, you know. It's Great. nearly well. It's nearly eleven p.m. here in the UK, so I'm sure it's absolutely uh, fine. Uh, so uh, yes, yeah, so if you have any questions, get them in now. Um, but yeah, I was going to say, obviously, in Clifton, have we have we missed anything you wanted to kind of highlight and talk about in terms of the game before we move on to chat about other things? Gosh, um, not not really. I think we covered uh, pretty much covered it all. Just mm -hmm. I guess would wrap up by. Um... Again, saying the emphasis for this book is really just to invite mm -hmm. people in to play the game. Each of the setting chapters uh, begins, it, it sets out what the world is like very quickly and concisely. Yeah. Uh, what the authority is, gives you the youthful offenders so you don't have to make them up. You just pick some fun characters and make them your own. Uh, but then also includes uh, essentially a, a, a scaffolded or mostly written out uh, pilot episode. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, the first scene is is fairly well scripted of what's going on. The second scene, a little bit less so. The third scene, yeah. a little bit less so. By the fifth scene, you're almost making everything up. Mm -hmm. uh, and after that, there are a few suggestions how you might continue with episode ideas, but it's up to you to make those up. Uh, so uh, a group of you could pick this pick this book up or the PDF or whatever, get together, never having played it for the first time, and have a nice three- or four-hour game session open up the book for the very first time and go through those pages together and play the game with no prep. 
Awesome. I like as little prep as possible because I'm a disorganized person going to the game tables. That suits me perfectly. Um, Zero so- <laughs> prep is definitely one of the priorities of this game system from the beginning, actually. Uh, though you yeah. could, you might consider the world building session prep, but you you could just consider that a session. <laughs> I, yeah, I feel that would be part of the session because that's like being that's another part of collaborative storytelling isn't it really so we're all sitting there deciding what the rules in the world are um but uh it uh, is on kickstarter now so i've just put the links in the chat there uh so it's got another like 16 days to go i believe or so yeah, so there's there is still weeks. time a little bit over two weeks there's still time uh it is fully funded so congratulations to you both so this is happening no matter what uh yeah. but if um the best way to support indie tabletop rpg uh creators is to, to buy their stuff uh, so if you are able to go on and support the campaign that would be awesome because there's some fun stretch goals as we mentioned coming as well so if we can push them up to those stretch goals that would be awesome so the link's in the chat there um so we've talked a lot about um I spent youth obviously full love not online because that's what we're here to talk about but i also want to talk about other tabletop rpgs uh that we like as well oh but we do have a question actually first uh, before i move us on uh and that is um what would be the next thing you're planning to release uh, for, you know, for misspent youth beyond this? Which uh, may be a tough question because you're in the middle of your your Kickstarter now and still got two weeks to not, go. <laughs> it's not a yeah. tough question. Okay, great. <laughs> we, we already know. Um, we have uh, one of our good friends, Oscar Russo, is working on a horror version of misspent youth, which um, is really, really fun. I've seen some of the cool things that they're doing. Um, but... If, if I get to it first, I'm going to be releasing a superhero version uh, that we talked about earlier. So um, there's going to be lots of rules changes. It'll be a standalone book. It won't be like mm-hmm. a, you know, misspent youth presents, you know, be superhero rebels. It'll just be sort of powered by misspent youth, uh, but it'll okay. be a superhero game. And that'll be, I'm super pumped about that one. Although I'm not working on it right now because you know, Kickstarter and whatnot. But that takes as soon as I get a free minute, that's what I'm going to be doing. Yeah. Maybe in two or three weeks time, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. So there we go. So there's the answer to your question there. Hopefully that helped. Um, but now, because I think no one else has chimed in with any questions, but we will move on to other tabletop RPGs that you are enjoying playing. So Opti, what um, other games are you enjoying playing? Maybe not at the moment because you're in the middle of a Kickstarter, but in general, or that you'd recommend to people that are yes. not D&D? Uh, so I'm always <laughs> a little bit quick to um, recommend... Shadowrun, um, specifically Shadowrun Anarchy, if you are looking for something that's maybe not really crunchy, but you love the Shadowrun um, mm-hmm. uh, setting. Uh, Shadowrun Anarchy is a sort of rules light version of Shadowrun. And um, like I said, me and Cliff, you know, write a lot of words or have written a lot of words and, and love the setting and mm-hmm. uh, inhabit that setting in a way that we, you know, we don't a lot of other settings. So if I had to, right, if you're going to go play something, go play Shadowrun Anarchy. It's fun. Awesome. Uh, Clifton, what about you? And I'm going to say you can't say Shadowrun because we've already had that. <laughs> All right. That sounds good. I'm going to be a little uh, self-serving here and uh, oh, recommend okay. my own my own self-published, self-released game, which mm-hmm. I did as part of a zine quest one year. I think it was last year or maybe it was the year before. I don't know. Time mm-hmm. got a little weird there. Still is. Uh, let me share the link for you because I, I should have put it in the document, but I didn't think of it at the time. Uh, but the oh, game is called nice. Funny Freakout. Uh, it's a zero prep RPG that is designed, uh, oh, much like this misspent youth one where you can just pick up the document and sit with your friends and open it up and play through it. It tells you what to do. Um, but it's a very rules light narrative game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mechanics are very loosely based on Forged in the Dark. Um, 
the Forge in the Dark uh, system mm -hmm. where you can roll dice for things and you might have, you do it or you don't do it, or you're much more likely to get good and bad results. Uh, but the concept of the game is that you are a, uh, you're a crew of people trying to put together a horror comedy prank TV show like scare tactics. Okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, the GM plays one NPC. That's all they're responsible for is one person. They play the Mark who is the, 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 okay. the person they're trying to trick. And it's all yeah. about managing the experience so that you get a really great fun uh, episode out of it and really freak that person out with weird stuff. And, but also like <laughs> make sure they have a good time and you don't ruin their life or make them feel too bad. So you kind of manage with okay. your actions, trying to build up the fun or the weird. Those are the good tracks. And you want to avoid building up the bad feelings or the terror track, uh, which which would result in them having a horrible time. So it's on itch. Uh, I think I set it for five bucks, but there's community copies there because I think mm -hmm. people should be able to get things even if they don't have money to pay for them. Um, and uh, so uh, I would be delighted to see that Someone has downloaded it again. Uh, and no one has for months. And I don't talk <laughs> okay. about it much, but it, I've played oh, it on, on Rem Alternus as part of a stream. It's a lot of fun. It's a just very collaborative beer and pretzels sort of narrative RPG. You get together. Right. It's very funny. And it's also uh, designed to be wholesome and about good feels, not about just scaring somebody and laughing at them. Okay. <laughs> Right now, no. all of Cliff's friends are clicking on the link so that Cliff feels good. <laughs> <laughs> Please do, yeah. And if you would like to be Cliff's friend, the way you do that is by clicking on the link. Uh, yeah, but Funny Freakout is there, and I put the link in the chat, so it's there, and it's on the screen right now. Um, people are liking the sound of that already. People are saying the fun they could see them and their friends doing that. So that sounds like a great game recommendation. So um, I'm all there for that. Um, so I want to say thank you so much for coming on and talking about uh, games with us. So thank you so much for giving it your time up to Ian Clifton. Uh, and thank you for the people that came along in the chat. Thank you, James said it's one of the best interviews they've ever seen. Uh, well, good news for you. We do not D&D every Monday at 10 p.m. BST and we have different indie tabletop RPG creators every week. Uh, so you can come on and uh, and hear about new games. Uh, so next Monday, we've got back again from the Broken Land with Alexi Sargent. So they're coming on to talk about their game there. Uh, but if you're like Jess, I can't wait an entire week uh, for more content from Ian Live, don't you worry. We have content this week on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. Uh, so on Tuesday, uh, tomorrow at 3 p.m. ET, we have the Starcross Seaway, uh, which is using Level Up uh, Advanced 5th Edition, the actual play. And then on Thursday, we have an, uh, not Level Up, awfully cheerful engine one-shot actual play as well on Thursday and then Friday we're wrapping up the week with this week in tabletop RPG with a summary of the week's tabletop RPG news so you can hear about everything that's going on there um, but now it's coming up to the time at the end of the show so I'm going to say thank you so much Opti and Clifton for coming on and giving us your time thank you so much to everybody that's come along today and uh, watched the show and hopefully we'll see you next week and I'm going to leave you with a little promo to tell you about the Starcross Seaway that's on tomorrow in case you haven't caught up on it yet the Moonveld Sea, home to a small archipelago where gods are commonplace and magic is every day. The simple lives of the people there were disrupted 20 years ago with the arrival of the fiduciary order, promising goods but also bringing strict laws. 
all who break their law, or are perceived to have done so, are branded pirates and barred from all legitimate ports. For many, this is a point of pride, not shame, for who is the fiduciary order to say how they might live? But the Moonveiled Sea is about to be disrupted once again, and the least likely of heroes may yet emerge. <laughs>